So are we agreed, girls? Is God good? Is the king good? He's a good king, isn't he? And he's got a good kingdom. And we're going to look today at about how his kingdom is going to be set up on the earth. And we together say together in agreement, thy kingdom come. And as we look at this chapter in Luke today, look at chapter 9, we're going to try, I know there's a lot in this chapter, but we're going to try and take a big swooping look at the whole chapter. And we're going to, we're going to I believe, um, we're going to speak about some things that God wants to do in our hearts. Because uh, last week we looked at how Jesus had, um, had called his disciples, a few weeks ago rather, in Luke chapter 6. Uh, verses 12 to 16 Jesus had called these 12 men and these men had responded to the call in faith they'd chosen to follow him and and over a period of time they were going to learn through watching him and through listening to him they were going to learn how to become disciples how to become followers how to become people who were eventually going to actually change the world and you see, this is exactly what God, I believe, wants to do with us today. He calls us. It's the Holy Spirit who speaks to you and calls you to respond to the love of God, to invite Jesus to come in and be your saviour. It's the Holy Spirit that stirs that up within us and gives us those desires. And when we ask Jesus to come in and to be the king of our lives, come and save us and fill us by his spirit. We start on this amazing journey where he is going to continue to train us and to, to guide us and to teach us to become people who can change the world, to become people who can see his kingdom come. And, and I love this thought because it rem every time I think about Jesus training me, it reminds me that he is committed to me. And he's committed to you. The moment that you trust him as your saviour, the moment that you receive him into your heart, he, he, he's committing himself. He has sealed you by his spirit. You can never be lost. You can never be taken out of his hand. And he is committed to you to continue to train you and to go through this journey of life with you so that you might become the woman that he has planned for you to be, that you might be the disciple that he can send out to do exploits and to see his kingdom come. And so that's the, that's the introduction of what we want to say today. And we're going to read a few verses as we go through this chapter 9 of Luke. And we're going to see that uh, he initially called his disciples to be with him. And then in chapter 9, he's calling them again. It would seem that during the time that he was moving around Galilee, that the disciples were following him, and it would seem that at times they went back to their own homes. Many of them lived in the Galilee area. And then he would have called them back again, and this time he was calling them to send them out. So let's just read from chapter 9, verse 1. Then Jesus called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them to take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. He sent them out with power and authority. Somebody once said that power, we can see someone who has a lot of power, but having power is not enough, you need to have authority. If you see a policeman dressed up and he's got all the gear on and he's got his bat on and his, and his gun and all the rest of it, you can see that he's, he's got powerful weapons, he's got power. But unless he's got the uniform on and the badge of authority, he can't actually use that power. He can't go out. He has no license to go out and use that power. And so God, Jesus had given his disciples not just power, but authority. And he has given that same power and authority to you and to me. Because we are, we are the children of the kingdom once we trust him as our saviour. And, and these disciples, they were sent out to preach the kingdom. Did you notice that they were to preach the gospel of the kingdom? See, the gospel of the kingdom is to bring the good news of salvation. 
I mean, that's the most important message that we have, to tell people that they can be forgiven. But you know, a lot of, a lot of our troubles, a lot of our sicknesses, a lot of those sicknesses that we carry actually come from guilt and heaviness and the, the uh, effect of sin that sin has on the world. And a lot of the sicknesses and the trouble in our bodies actually comes from the fact that, that we don't actually walk in total and absolute forgiveness and freedom, that Jesus died to pay for our sins. And so the message of the kingdom was not just to bring the good news of the gospel and that cleansing for sin was available, but also that they were, to, they, they were, going to, they were, they were sent out to heal the sick as well as uh, bring the good news of the gospel. And I love the fact that in Matthew 8, verses 16 to 17, here's what it says. And he cast out, this, this is Jesus, he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. I think sometimes we forget that the atonement the work that Jesus did on the cross, the price that he paid on the cross was to save us from our sins and to make us clean and to, and to forgive us from our sins and to wash us from all, all, all iniquity and all the stuff, that was, the shameful stuff. But not more than that, it was to heal our sicknesses as well. And the atonement is so much bigger than what we imagine. And so we, as children of the King, we have been given this power and authority to take this message forward that Jesus Christ is King and that in his kingdom he gives us power and authority even over, over sickness and disease. And you know, when his kingdom is set up on earth, all sickness will be gone, all disease will be gone. And we're in the kind of in-between place where there's still a lot of stuff going on because the God of this world is active. And where he is given license, of course, we still struggle with the, 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 the old stuff that goes on in the world and with pain and sorrow and sickness and all of that. But Jesus essentially died on the cross to set us free and to, to give us complete forgiveness and complete healing. By his stripes we are healed. And it's all in the atonement. It's all in the power of what Christ has done. And we are his agents on earth. And he, just as he sent those disciples to go out and to preach it, in the same way he's sending you and me to go and to preach everywhere we go, not necessarily from a platform. These disciples were going into homes. They weren't necessarily getting up and preaching from some formal platform. They were going out to tell the world the message of the kingdom. And that's the same message that you and I have. And we have opportunities every day to be telling people about the king, to be telling people about the, the message of the gospel of Christ, that he died to set us free. He died to, to, to forgive us our sins, but to set us free from the power of those sins and even to cleanse us and to, and to even heal us from the stuff, the negative stuff that the enemy's doing in our bodies. I think that's great news, do you not? That's the message that we're sent, that we're sent out in this world to bring to a world that is suffering and a world that is so in need of this message. And the next heading I've put in your notes is that the kingdom is wherever the king is ruling. And I just wrote in these notes, today God's message remains the same. It is the message of the gospel with power that must be declared across the earth. A message of a whole new world order where forgiveness is made available to sinful people and sickness is overcome. A world where love and truth and justice reign. And that's the good news that we have. That's what we carry. And you know what? Sometimes we don't even enjoy it ourselves, let alone telling it to other people. Would you agree with me? And God wants us to enjoy the fact that we belong to a different, a different kingdom. We belong to the kingdom of light. We are not part of the kingdom of darkness. And we are light bearers. We carry the presence of the King everywhere we go. And as Susan spoke this morning about this good news and about not listening to the lies of the enemy, do you know we need to remind ourselves of that constantly? Because the kingdom of darkness will try to come and infiltrate and try to come with lies 
to discourage us and to make us bring us into some kind of place between darkness and light where we're not actually living in the good of what the king has done for us because jesus the king of kings and lord of lords went to the cross the king died chose to die on the cross for our sins so let's just continue to read because I feel there's a kind of a, a big picture in this chapter that I feel God wants to speak to us about today. It goes on to say, Luke 9, verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by Jesus, and he was perplexed because it was said by some people that John had risen from the dead, and, and by some that Elijah, and some people said that Elijah had appeared, and others said that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So Herod sought to see Jesus. Now, this is just a little, a little bit of information that's put into this part of the chapter. And, and as I read this, I just thought, this is almost a little picture, if you like, of, of how the world gets confused because King Herod was a very worldly man and in fact he actually gives us a picture of what the world is like he was sensual he was he was um, he was lustful uh, do you remember he took his brother's wife he 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 loved pleasure he was manipulative he he was a sensuous man and he used the political situation in Israel at that time for his own ends to, to give him a position. He manipulated the Romans and the and the and the Jews for his own advantage. And really Herod is a picture of the world, how the world doesn't understand the kingdom. And the world will take the head off anyone who who is God's representative. I mean, Herod, you remember how through being sensual and, and in order to please his sensual wife, he beheaded John the Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is that the, is that, is that the guillotine? <laughs> he beheaded John the Baptist. And you know what? That's exactly what the world will do. The world will take the head of anyone who really is out and out to represent Jesus Christ. The worldly spirit that is against us. And that worldly spirit has no place for any representative of the King of Kings. That worldly spirit does not want God's kingdom to come. That, that worldly spirit will oppose and try to stop you going forward. And so Herod, he probably was feeling a bit of guilt and maybe even a little bit afraid because he had, after all, he had beheaded John the Baptist and he was beginning to wonder well, has John come back from the dead or what's going on here? He, he was, and the world, essentially, whilst it's totally against the kingdom of God, the world is also afraid. People in the world, are, there's a sense where they are afraid of the power of God. They're totally opposed but are afraid of it. And if you feel that you're, that you're actually speaking out for, for the king and, and you're telling people about Jesus and you're, you're, you're wanting to see his kingdom come on the earth, there's a worldly spirit that will oppose you but don't be afraid of that worldly spirit because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world and so God wants us to realize who we are and Herod yeah he was representing the world and of course the people who live in the world we are we all have this old fleshly nature and and then we have the the devil we the bible talks about the world the flesh and the devil and our old fleshly nature tends to agree with what the enemy says and with what, what the world says. And that's why we as believers need to constantly watch and, and pray and keep ourselves in agreement with heaven. And not coming into agreement with the lies of the enemy or with what the world would pull us towards. Because we have, we have, a, link, we, we have a link with heaven and we are declaring, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven so we have this link with heaven that god wants us to align ourselves with what heaven is saying what heaven is doing and we're not going to get involved with worldly stuff and how the devil would manipulate our flesh and worldliness for his own ends to take us away so our first thought was that we are sent to preach the kingdom, that the kingdom is wherever the king is ruling and it's our job to declare it across the earth. 
to realize that there is still confusion in the world about the kingdom of God, that the world doesn't understand it, the world does not understand that Christ is going to set up his kingdom on this earth. The world doesn't get that and is totally opposed to anything to do with the king. And then our third point, we're going to look at John at Luke chapter 9 from verse 10. And we're going to see that Jesus was the perfect teacher and that he, he was teaching the kingdom to his disciples. Let's just read from verse 9. Where, uh, sorry, from verse uh, yeah, from verse 10. And the apostles, when they had returned, that's the ones that Jesus had sent out to, uh, to declare the kingdom. When they returned, they told Jesus all that they had done. Just want to say at that point that a good teacher is one who, who will uh, allow the student to observe and to listen and to learn. And then a good teacher will let the student practice what they've learned and then come back and discuss how they've worked it out and how they've done That's a good teacher. Anybody who's a teacher here, isn't that a good way of teaching? It's about listening, absorbing, and then doing it yourself, and then coming back for re-evaluation. That's how teaching, that's, that's how a good teacher will operate. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. They had observed him for quite a while as they'd been with him, as his disciples. They had watched how he spoke to the crowds. They had watched and listened to his message. They had, been, they had been students, and then he sent them out that they would go and they would tell the people around them uh, about the kingdom of God and about, about the message of the kingdom. And then they came back and they were going to talk and explain and talk to Jesus about how they had done it and what had happened, and he was going to help them with that. But it says here that they told him all that they had done, and then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But... When the multitude knew it, they followed Jesus and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to Jesus, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions for we are in a deserted place here. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so, and made them all sit down. Then Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them, and gave them to the disciples, and set them before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and twelve baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. Uh, I, I, love, I love this story, I love this, this scripture, and uh, we see that, that Jesus, uh, when he was talking with his disciples and listening to them about all that they had done, how the multitude, the crowds were coming around him and how another, another one of the Gospels says he was full of, filled with compassion and how he, he, he talked and, and taught the crowd and healed those that needed to be healed. You see, Jesus is always, is always there to respond to our needs. And uh, I love this story and how um, Jesus uh, was teaching the disciples he was teaching them something more that day. He wanted to teach them and give them another lesson in how he could meet the needs of the people. I've written in your notes that we often forget that Jesus just doesn't save us. He continues to teach us as we journey through life. And on this occasion, he was going to give the disciples another demonstration of his love and power to meet the needs of humanity. You see, the disciples... Whenever they saw the hungry multitudes, their solution was to send them away. But whenever Jesus saw the need of the multitude, his answer was to meet the need. And the thing is that God, we, we can't meet need all the time, but God can meet need. And we know we have no confidence in our flesh. We can't meet the need that's around us. But we do have confidence in a God who can meet your need. 
We do have confidence in a God who is able to deal with whatever is going on in your life. And in this particular situation, the people were hungry. And here's the, I believe this is the lesson out of all of this. Whether you are physically hungry or whether you have a spiritual hunger, the truth is that Jesus can meet your need. And if you remember, we didn't read it, but in Matthew 16, no, it's not Matthew 16, it's John. In John's Gospel, uh, when you read the story of, uh, the, of feeding the 5,000, in John chapter 6, verse 9, it tells us explicitly that there was one little boy there in that crowd. Do you remember the story? And he was the only one who brought out what he had. Do you remember the two loaves and the five, two loaves, barley loaves and the five fish? And he gave what he had to Jesus. And this reminds me so much that when there's need around, whether it's your own personal need or whether it's need around you, that when we just give to Jesus whatever we have, that he can multiply it. Out of, out of the little that we have, he can meet the need of many. And that's a great thing for us to grasp because that wee boy could have just gone off somewhere into a corner and just scoffed at that lunch for himself, couldn't he? He could have gone round the corner somewhere where nobody was watching and just stuffed his face, we would say. But he didn't. He gave what he had to Jesus. And, you know, when we... I've written in, the, in your notes here that when we give Jesus all that we have... He can turn that into more than enough. When Jesus, when Jesus blessed what that little boy gave, it was enough, it was more than enough to feed the multitude. In fact, it, they had 12 baskets left over. I remember I used to teach the kids in school in Bible Explorer about how there was a basket for every tribe. I don't remember doing Bible Explorer. There was a, a basket for every one of the 12 tribes. More than enough. When we give him all we've got and we don't hold back, he can do with your life whatever the need is. He can, he, can, he can do more than what you need. He can meet your need more than enough. And Did you notice that when he was doing this miracle, did you notice that he got them to sit down in 50s? I just love the fact that there was a kind of, I believe there's a kingdom, there's order in God's kingdom. And, and it's lovely, I love a bit of, rough and tumble. I love a bit of this organization. I love to go with the flow, but there's a sense where God, God's able to go with the flow, but God also has an order about him. And I love the fact that it just mentions the number 50. Numbers are quite significant in the Bible, and 50 speaks of jubilee. And the 50th year, and the jubilee year, people were set free. Slaves were set free. It speaks of freedom and restoration. And, and there's something about this kingdom, about, about what Jesus wants to teach us about this kingdom, that he wants us to know that when there are difficulties in life, that we carry a gospel where people are set free, where people can experience restoration for what they've lost, where spiritual hunger can be met, where people can be encouraged. And, and I believe that Jesus, as he, as he was teaching these disciples more about his love and compassion and more about what kingdom life looked, at, looked like, that, that he was actually preparing them that they would not be afraid of need. And if you have need in your own life, and most of us have, most of us, there's stuff going on that we need God to help us with. Do you know what? Just give him what you've got and just say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you to meet this need. And you know, he will meet the need. And if there's somebody in your life that you're concerned about or some situation and you just feel, I can't cope with that. I don't know how to help that person. I don't know. Do you know what? Just give God whatever you have, whatever you can do for that situation whether it's something practical, whatever it is, whether it's just praying for that person or being practical to go and help in some practical way, whatever you can do, do it with all your heart and pray and ask the Lord to do the miracle. And I have the confidence to believe that God will do a miracle in your situation. Just bring him all you have and trust him. And, and you know what happens in those circumstances of life where we, where we just feel stuck and we feel we haven't got the wherewithal to deal with whatever's going on. Do you know what I've discovered? That it's in those circumstances that God actually, when we trust him and give him everything and say, right God, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to step out and trust you completely for this. 
When we do that, God not only steps in and takes you through, but he actually stretches you and enlarges you so that you're more equipped and you understand more about his kingdom by going through that difficulty. And that's what God wants to do with us. He's training us. He's committed to train you. And the only way we can actually be trained to know more about him is to go through some of the difficulties of life. Because if it's all plain sailing, then we're never going to learn. If there's no obstacles and no problems to face, how are we going to learn? How are we going to learn how to work through problems if there aren't any? So life is full of, of, of difficult circumstances. It's full of lots of pain and difficulties. But I believe it's a challenge for us to trust Jesus in that and to allow him to take us through and to teach us. And this morning I really felt that, that a big thrust in my heart was that God is faithful to teach us. As we go through the journey of life and we face the difficulties and we face our own weaknesses and all the stuff that we, that, we, that we listen to that we shouldn't listen to, that God is faithful to train us and shape us and take us through life and make us into more, more um, equipped vehicles, vessels that he can use. And so we've seen that there's a preaching of the kingdom, there's a lot of confusion about the kingdom, there's teaching the kingdom, and now we're going to look at the cost of the kingdom because Jesus was going to speak directly to his disciples. And we see that in verse 18. It says that, And it happened as Jesus was alone praying that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, You're the Christ of God. And he strictly, Jesus strictly warned them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Or for, or for whoever is ashamed of me and, and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. The cost of the kingdom. Uh, <clears throat> it's very, very interesting that uh, in, in Matthew 16, it tells of the same incident where Jesus was with his disciples and where he asked them this question, whom do men say that I am? Now, it's very interesting that this was, and it tells us where it was in Matthew 16, it was actually at a place in Israel called Caesarea Philippi. Nowadays, it's known as Banias. Banias. And uh, we've visited this place often when we've gone to Israel. It's actually at the source, one of the sources of the Jordan River. And at that time in history, there was a cave where the water came gushing out of this, of this cave. And if you can imagine a tremendous uh, noise as, as the water, the source of the Jordan, burst out through this cave, the noise was deafening as it, as it burst out of the cave. And this was a pagan place. It was a place where uh, the Greek god, uh, Greek um, pagan god Pan, P-A-N, was worshipped by many. And Pan was one of the, 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 the Greek gods that, uh, that they believed was, we get the word panic from that word. It was a god of fright, if you like. And Pan was supposed to be, Greek mythology said that this god, with a small g, uh, was like half man and half goat. And that this, 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 this god, this Pan, didn't have a temple, but, uh, but was worshipped out in the fields and loved to be worshipped in caves. And around this area of Caesarea Philippi, this was an area where there was Pan worship going on. And apparently this... Greek god, 
Greek mythology, the story went that this, that this the Pan uh, was kind of creeping up beside, it was always after nymphs, and was creeping up to, to, to try and seduce these nymph creatures, and that, that they would have run away from him because um, he would have scared them so much, frightened them, and that one of them actually turned into a reed, and he plucked some of these reeds and then began to realise there was beautiful music from it, and this is where you get the idea of the Pan music coming out of it. So the whole deal of stuff around this Pan character and uh, how uh, the word panic came out of this. Now it's very interesting that Caesarea Philippi, this is where right from, from, from uh, the 3rd century BC, before Christ, that there had been this Pan worship going on. So it was a place where Jews would not have gone to. But this was the very place that Jesus brought his disciples to. This is the very place in the middle of paganism, in the middle of a place where uh, the god of fright or the god of fear, if you like, was worshipped with pagan worship. This is where Jesus came with his disciples to ask them the question, who do men say that I am? And then the more personal question, who do you say that I am? Um, it's very interesting also that because people threw sacrifices into this cave, <laughs> uh, pagan sacrifices into this cave, and because of the noise and the fear that was surrounding this god, it's interesting that the people uh, described the cave as the gates of hell. That's very interesting for us to know as a backdrop that Jesus brought his disciples right into the very centre of where the evil one uh, really centralised and lifted up a god of fear. Can you imagine such an awful thing, the god of fright or the god of fear, being elevated for people to actually worship? And it's into the centre of this that Jesus comes and starts to talk to his disciples about who he is. And Peter makes this amazing declaration. Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And you remember in, in Matthew 16, where Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, but my father who's in heaven. And then in the middle of this, of this area of dedicated to fear, in the middle of that, Jesus introduces the whole idea of his church. And I'm going to read a couple of verses in Matthew 16 because I think this is so key to link in with what I believe God wants to say to us today. Because God wants us to know that his perfect love casts out fear. And the enemy wants you and wants me to live with fear and panic and fright in our lives. And do you know what? Jesus came to this earth to do away with that and to give us victory over fear, that his perfect love would cast out fear. And it tells us in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some said John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said that, Jesus then said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you notice what he said? The gates of hell. Do you notice that this was the very place where the pagan people referred to this cave as the gates of hell? And it's almost like he's using this as an illustration to say we're sitting here right in the centre of pagan worship and I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell, nothing is going to come against it because I'm going to build my church. And then he goes on to say, and I will give you the keys and the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. I really wanted to uh, just read that last verse in the Amplified Version because I think it makes it even more clear to us and this is what I believe we need to be declaring in these days. Here's what it says in the Amplified. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind, 
in other words, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, must be what is already bound and unlawful in heaven. Whatever you loose, declare to be lawful on earth, must be what is already loosed and declared to be lawful in heaven. In other words, the keys of the kingdom are that we come into agreement with what God's word says, with what heaven says, and when we know that God's word says something, the key is to agree with God's word and to declare it. And there's a power, and the power of confession, and a power of making a declaration. This is what God's word says, and I stand on God's word. And so in the midst of this pagan place, Jesus is challenging his disciples with the fact that uh, there's a kingdom, there's a kingdom of darkness, but there's a kingdom of light, a kingdom of God, and it's going to come about through his church. And, and just over the last week or two, I have been so taken up with the fact that Jesus came because he loved us. Ephesians tells us that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That we would be a clean and a spotless church. And it's time for the church to rise up to see his kingdom come. But the church needs to make herself ready. She needs to be, we need to be clean as individuals. And the church worldwide needs to rise up and be who we are meant to be. To show this world who Jesus is. And to be part of ushering in his kingdom. Because the king is coming. And we are part of that kingdom. And we have a role in this earth to preach the kingdom. To declare the kingdom everywhere we go. To meet need, to show that the kingdom of God can the kingdom of God is so great and so beautiful, and that the gospel of the kingdom is the gospel of the gospel of forgiveness, the gospel of healing, and the gospel of victory and overcome. And it's, a tr- it's, it's truth and justice across this planet, and we are to stand for all that the kingdom stands for. And whatever is in heaven, we are to declare that on earth. Whatever God's word says, that's what, we've, that's what we stand on, not what the world says, what God's word says. And so in the midst of all of this, I, I just love the fact that Jesus uh, is here at Caesarea Philippi in the middle of this awful place of fear, where fear was celebrated, where, where paganism was rife, and in the midst of it all, he's not one bit afraid. He was, wasn't one bit intimidated by that. In the midst of it all, he comes in and he says, this is where... On this rock, on this truth, that I am the Son of God, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. On this truth, on this rock, I will build my church. And you know what he's building? And we're all part of the stones that have been put into place. Every one of you are living stones. And he is building his church across this planet like never before. And I believe he's breathing fresh life into the church. I believe he's challenging us to rise up and get rid of a lot of old stuff that's hampering us. I believe he wants us to be clean and beautiful. He wants us to cast off the lies of the enemy and the works of darkness. He wants us to be pure and spotless and clean and passionately in love with Jesus. We are his church. We are his bride. And he has chosen that we are the ones who's going to show this world who he is and we're going to see his kingdom come. It's the church's job to bring in the kingdom. And Jesus is the king and we are part of who he is. We are part of his body. And so did you notice that in this, in this particular part where he is, he is declaring the cost of the kingdom. What is the cost of the kingdom? Well, it goes on to say here that he spoke, he spoke to his disciples and he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, there is a cost. There was a cost for Jesus Christ to to go to the cross and to die for us. But he challenges us that we, there's a cost in following him. If we want to follow him, then we've got to believe what he says. If we, there's a cost in throwing off the lies and throwing off the worldliness and the stuff that we would, that our flesh would go after. There's a cost. We've got, to, we've got to throw that stuff off and we've got to make a choice that we're going to follow Jesus. Whatever that means for each of us. 
that we want to follow him. We want to obey his word. We want to be clean vessels. We want to have our sins forgiven every day. We want to listen to him, his voice every day and follow him. And there is a cost to following Jesus. And uh, I always remember Jim Elliot and those guys who went out to the tribes, the pagan tribe in South America, and how Jim Elliot, if you remember, how he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And you know what, the stuff that the enemy would try to bring around us, the pleasures or the stuff or, you know, the stuff that, that Satan would try to get us to, to go for, for worldliness rather than for Christ-likeness, that stuff's going to, we can't keep, you can't keep that. It's only rubbish, it's all going to dissolve. But what we can keep is going after God. We go after gold. When we follow Jesus and we decide we're going to do it his way, we're instead, of, instead of losing our temper and, 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 and going down that route, or instead of, of wasting our finances, or instead of listening to lies and gossiping, instead of all that stuff, we're going to be godly women. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to put Christ first. We're going to believe what he says. We're going to give all that we have to him. We want him to be first in our lives. When we do that, we are, we are sowing. We talked about it a few weeks ago. We are sowing into the kingdom. We are sowing into what we are never going to lose. There's something about, about dying to ourselves and to the way we think things should be done and being alive to Christ and doing it his way. There's something about, that's why baptism is a symbol of, of death, but resurrection. For we're not living our own lives, our own nature, our own natural inclinations anymore, but we're choosing to live in the power of his resurrection. We realize that we've got a, the Holy Spirit in us and we're living to a new world order, girls. We're living to a new world order. We're living to kingdom values. And we want to represent Jesus on this earth. And we want to see his kingdom come. And this is the most noblest call that anybody could ever have. And so we see that there's a cost to the kingdom. And then, finally, we see that there's going to be, uh, they're going to see the kingdom. Let's just continue to read from Luke chapter 9, where it says in verse 27, But said Jesus, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that Jesus took Peter, John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease or his death, if you like, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. Jesus had said that it wouldn't be very many days before they would actually see the kingdom. And sure enough, in around about eight days, he took them from Caesarea Philippi up this high mountain. Now nobody can convince me that this mountain isn't Mount Hermon. I know that traditionally a lot of people say it's Mount Tabor, but Mount Tabor is way down the country. Mount Hermon is right beside Caesarea Philippi, and it's a very, very high mountain. It's the only mountain in Israel where the snow can be seen on the top of it. And uh, it's often referred to in the Psalms where, the, 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 where the, the, the pure water flows from Hermon right down to Jerusalem. And, and so Hermon is a beautiful high mountain. And I'm convinced that's where the Lord took them. He just moved them from Caesarea Philippi and he walked up this mountain. And uh, whilst he was up on this mountain, he was transfigured before them. His face was altered, it says, and his robe became white and glistening as he talked to Moses and Elijah about his soon coming death. I, I love this picture. I love the picture of Jesus uh, changing before them, his appearance changing. I believe he was giving them a glimpse of his glory. I believe he was giving them a glimpse of the glory of his kingdom. And I just came across this wee book that I had written some stuff whenever I was in Israel. And here's what I had written. Uh, 
uh, just about this passage in Matthew, Matthew 17 and Luke chapter 9. God wants us to be more like him with his brightness, the brilliance, the display of who he is. He wants us to rise higher and fulfill this glorious purpose, not to modify our behavior. And I'd put in brackets, animal trainers can do that. We don't want to be trained like animals, like lions in a ring that, that you click the, 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 the circus master clicks the thing and the thing performs. But God's goal is to infuse the fullness of God's nature into us and to let us shine. I believe that when we see Jesus shining on this mountain, that it's a picture of how God wants us to shine. He wants us to, to just to allow his Holy Spirit to shine through us, to be transparent witnesses in a dark world. And that means that we are done with darkness. It means that we're done with the stuff that sullies us and, and dulls us. The, the gossip and, the, and the, the lustfulness and the jealousies and all of that stuff that, that just, just takes our shine away. And instead he wants us to be pure. He wants us to be constantly clean by the waste with the word of God. He wants us to know who we are as women, that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, that he has paid the price that we can be spotless before him, that we can, as we read his word, we allow his word to wash us clean so that his glory that's in us can shine through us, that the world will look at you and me and see us shining. That's why I believe Isaiah chapter 60 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It's time, ladies, for us as individuals and as the church as a whole across this world, it's time for us to arise and shine. And Jesus was on the mountain and he was showing them what it was to be pure God in flesh. He was showing them a vision of his glory and he was giving them a glimpse into this kingdom that would last forever and ever and ever. And I believe that this is a beautiful picture of, the, of God and Jesus in his kingdom. Now, now, before I go any further, did you notice that Elijah and Moses were here with Jesus? And I, I love this, and it kind of, it really grabbed me. I know I've often thought about it, how Moses was, you know, remember Moses couldn't enter into the land because of his sin and his failure, and, and actually Moses never got into the promised land, and yet here he is, and he's in the promised land. Uh, he's, he's with Christ. He's given this place of honour. He didn't get in when he was in the physical body, but he got in uh, in spirit, and there he was with Elijah. And to me, and Moses is a picture of the of Israel and of the law and Elijah in many ways. Remember, Elijah was taken up to heaven. He he didn't die. It's a picture, I believe, of the church. And you see, like Israel and, and the church represented by these two men, and they're standing and they're talking to Jesus. And what are they talking to him about? They're talking to him about his soon coming death. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He was going to die very soon. And the picture, something hit my spirit this week, the sense of these men coming to share with him before he would die. And, and just the beautifulness about that. And, you know, over this last um, week's Joy, down at the back there, had given Jerry and I a book called The Promised Lent Devotional. And this has just been such a beautiful book to read at this time because this is a period that many people call Lent, as you know. And it's a period, Lent means, I looked it up, and Lent means springtime or the time before Easter, the time before Jesus' death. And, and as I was reading this the other day, it really gripped me that God sent two Old Testament saints to be with Jesus before he faced the cross. On the journey up to the cross that they came and talked with him on the on the mountain and i was i thought lord i'd love to have heard what they were talking about but i believe that god the father sent these two men to be with him almost to stand with him maybe they were encouraging him i don't know but it was just at that time of lent that time of 
springtime before he was going to go and die on the cross. And it made me think of the cost of our redemption and how, how God sent his son and how Jesus left heaven and left everything to come to this world, that he would pay the price for our sins, that we could be with him, that we could share with him in his kingdom, that, that he loved us even unto death, even unto the death of the cross. And as we remember, the, you know, every year as we remember before Easter, we remember the pain and the steadfast endurance of Jesus. As it says in Hebrews, that he set his face, he set his face to go to the cross. He determined to go. He had to set himself, he had to make the decision. It wasn't an easy choice. He had to set himself and steal himself and he was going to face the cross. And you know, we talk about it so glibly, we have no idea. We, look, we think about the physical sufferings of the cross and, and that was horrific and horrendous. And believe you me, Mel Gibson's, Mel Gibson's film, The Passion, actually we thought it was a bloody thing and a horrible thing, but I'll tell you, that was nothing. Mel Gibson's film was nothing to what the sufferings, the physical sufferings of Christ were because the Bible says that, that his, he was so marred more than any man that he was unrecognisable as a man. His physical sufferings were horrendous and he knew he was going to the cross. But you know what? The spiritual sufferings as he, as God laid our sin upon him, as he became sin for us, we will never know the cost of that. We will never know what that meant to him. The sinless, spotless son of God to actually take upon himself our sins. We will never know what that meant to Jesus as he faced himself to go to the cross. And he paid such a price. And you know, just as I was thinking about this and meditating on it, and in light of all of that, I just felt I had to read to you something out of this book because I feel this book says something very, very important to us this morning. It says, don't be reluctant to ask and to receive, to claim the payment of the cross for your sins, the healing it brings to your wounds and the comfort it brings to your soul. The gifts and mercies of God are complete and comprehensive and you would never want your faith to fall short of what God offers to give you on faith's terms. Ask him to help you experience his saving work to the fullest. That's the kind of prayer that God loves to answer. And then it goes on to say, having done that, Realize that whatever healing and deliverance that you've experienced from him, realize that that immediately qualifies you to be a minister of healing and deliverance for others. What you have freely received, freely give. And that's exactly what it tells us in Matthew 10 and 8. Freely you have received, freely give. Everyone on the planet, listen to this ladies, Everyone on the planet is walking around with wounds from the past, insecurities about the present, and fears for the future. Whether they manifest such concerns or not, they are walking around with those concerns. Many have been healed significantly already. Still, everyone needs ministers of grace in their lives. Be one of them every chance you get. You know, Jesus has paid it all. He's done everything that's necessary for our forgiveness, for our cleansing, for our well-being, for our healing. For every problem and every situation, he is more than able to meet our spiritual hunger, our spiritual need. He, he wants us to come and he wants us to claim it from him and to receive it from him on the basis of what he's paid on the, for us on the cross. He has bought us. He has bought those privileges for you and for me. And you know, it, I believe it grieves the Holy Spirit when we don't claim those privileges, when we don't go in and claim his peace and claim his forgiveness and claim his power to do the thing that he's calling us to do. And you know, as we have received freely from him, that we would start to give back out again freely. As we see others who are going through tough times, that we could give them back what we have received, that we could be vessels who would be givers, who would be reaching out to other people. 
This little book goes on to say that it isn't always easy to minister to people because often people compensate for their brokenness and emptiness in ways that offend us. Some people are prickling. Do you ever notice that? You'd want to help them, but they're kind of they're a bit prickling. And, and this little book encourages that a minister of grace has to be able to see past the offensiveness and recognise the pain inside. The walking wounded of this world need the ministry of the cross and the only way for them to get it is to experience it through someone who's already received its healing work. So receive his restoration completely and give it freely and let the wounds of Jesus do their healing work. Healing is the reason that he came. And there's a little prayer here that I just thought I would read to you. Lord, may my faith rise to the level of your promise and may it not stop when my own needs are met give me opportunities to be a minister of grace to many of the wounded lives that you give your life to save so it's a challenge i'm throwing out a challenge to you but also to myself and here's the thing as 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 Peter and, and James and John, as they were on this mountain, and as they saw Elijah and Moses speaking with Jesus, poor old Peter, who so often puts his foot in it, Peter, he gets this, he doesn't, it's, the Bible tells us he didn't know what to say, so he just said whatever came into his mouth, and he said, Lord, it's good for us to be here, why don't we make three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you? In other words, he was, speaking out as though they were on a, a level, three tabernacles for Moses, Elijah. And out of the cloud, and it says that, that out of the cloud, it says that, that, that a voice came and it says they became afraid. And the voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. You know, as I wrote your notes today, and I, I wrote, and here's the way I put it in your notes. How could Peter have got it so wrong? But then we too get it wrong all the time. We forget that Christ is all in all. We look to men. We look to other things. And dear forgive us, so often we put them, we put them in parallel. You know what? It's Jesus. We lift up Jesus. He is all in all. And you know, the, the God, the Father, is still speaking the same word to us. When we get confused, when we get things wrong, when we don't know what we're saying, God the Father is still saying the same thing to us. This is my beloved son. Hear him. He's the important person to hear. Not what everybody else is saying, but what he's saying. That is what is important. I'll tell you a story before we finish. When William was small, I told this story at a meeting last Sunday night up in Enniskillen, and I've told it a couple of times recently. I don't think I've told it here, so we'll go for it. When William was small, we realised that he had hearing loss in both ears. And he needed to wear two hearing aids. And when he was very young, he hated those hearing aids. I mean, he wouldn't keep them in at all. We were constantly taking the hearing aids out. And it became quite embarrassing because uh, he was going to a school up in Armagh, a special school up at Lisson Alley. And it became quite embarrassing because... I, I was embarrassed to go back to the Royal Hospital, the audiology clinic, on a regular basis because he was losing the hearing aids and we're having to get new ones. And it was quite embarrassing to go back and say he's lost another pair. And they were getting a wee bit exasperated, you know, that hearing aids cost money and all the rest of it. So we finally discovered what was happening. William was very friendly with a young boy who was in a wheelchair in Lisson Alley. His name was Kyle. And uh, Kyle uh, and William were great friends. Kyle could speak, but he was in the wheelchair uh, and he needed William to push him. And William could push him all around the school, but he needed Kyle to speak for him. So the two of them became, they were like partners in crime and they were going around the school together. And one day the teachers overheard them uh, in, the, in the toilets and they realised what was happening, the problem was solved. Because in the toilets, William would push Kyle into the toilet. William would take the two hearing aids out, drop them into the toilet, and Kyle would flush the toilet. <laughs> that was a joint effort. 
and we discovered what was happening. And to this day, if the two of them happened to meet somewhere out in the shopping centre or whatever, the two of them laughed their heads off. And they hug each other. William will still throw his arms around him and tail hug him like this and will laugh. And we'll say, you're the poor rascals with a hearing aid. But the reason I'm telling you that story is because when William was young, he didn't have the sense to realise that it was important that he could hear. And actually, he didn't realise what he was missing. So the hearing aids meant nothing to him. They were just a trouble. They were were an irritation in his ears. But now that he's got older, William loves his hearing aids. Do you see, even if he's got an infection in his ears, we have to, he, he would still want to put the hearing aids in on top of the infection. We have to hide them because he loves his hearing aids, because now he appreciates that he can hear the music, he can hear what's going on. He loves his hearing aids. And here's the thing I I wanted to say to you today. So often, we go through life, and we don't realise how important it is that we hear what God's saying to us. And we can go through life spiritually deaf and not even aware that we are missing out on hearing what the living God has to say about today. Not yesterday or last week, but about today, that God has something to say to us each moment of the day. And that we need our, if you like, our spiritual hearing aids in. That we're tuned in with the frequency of heaven. That we are hearing what God's saying to us. And you know what? I think that a lot of us, myself included, we can put mystery around this and we can think, well, how do you hear God? Do you know what? You hear him by faith and I believe he's speaking to us all the time. And recently I've been so challenged. When we were in Israel, one of the, we met this guy who was a rabbi and he talked to us and he said that it was so important that we hear by what we see. You hear by your eyes. There's so much going around us. If we would ask God to speak to us and to, give, to be constantly speaking to us through what we see and what we hear, do you know what? We would be great, we would be great students of hearing God and learning. We would, we would grow at a tremendous rate. But a lot of the time, we're, we're not. the disciples, I believe, were listening and watching Jesus. They were learning every day. They were on a three-year uh, training to change the world. And we're here for a short time. And we have an opportunity to change this world, to change this planet. But we need to be tuned in to hear what heaven's saying, to come into agreement with heaven, to learn of him. That's why Jesus said to take my yoke upon me. It's the idea of becoming a student, of coming into, into agreement with his harness and listening to him every day. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. The yoke was, was to become a, a, a student under the rabbi. And he wants us to become students who are hearing and listening. Daughters, part of his bride, but we are being changed. And he wants us to hear what he's saying because he, was, he has lots of things to tell you about how much he loves you. He has lots of things to say to you and he does it through his word and he does it very often in your spirit as your ears are opening and open and you're listening to him and you realise that he's speaking words of comfort through his Holy Spirit into your life by what you see, by what you hear, through other people, through each other. I am convinced that the bride of Christ needs to rise up needs to become pure and spotless and undefiled, needs to wash herself, needs to ask the Lord to wash her afresh and to, and to be that bride that's passionate and in love with the Saviour and waiting for him coming back. And I am convinced that God wants us to be those people and he wants us to realise that we are part of his body, we are his bride, and that means that we actually help each other, that we minister to each other, that we speak words. Listen, you could be carrying a word, maybe just a verse that God puts in your heart. And God could could give you, put somebody on your heart that you need to speak that verse to. And that verse could make all the difference. That could be God's voice to them in that moment. But how often do you think, oh, well, you forget about it. How diligent, I'm talking to myself, how diligent are we at actually making a note that I need to tell this person that God has prompted me to give them this verse or that God is prompting me to say this to them? We are part of the church. We're meant to minister to each other. We're part of his body. And we need to encourage each other. As, and, and, and as we do that, I believe we will rise up to be the bride and to be the one that God will use to show the world his beauty and to see his kingdom come. And you know what? I, I believe with all my heart that he's coming soon. I really do. I believe we could see it during our lifetime. But you know what? Let's do our part. 
let's 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 set our eyes on Jesus. Let's realize that we don't have to carry these burdens. We don't have to carry the, the guilt and the shame. We don't have to carry burdens of worry. We can trust him. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be panicking. We're we're filled with the love of God. We belong to another kingdom, to another king. And he's calling us to rise up and be his bride and to see his kingdom come. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that your word is for all of us today. And Lord, I pray that right now that you would take a word, Lord, that has been spoken for every heart today, that you would plant a word in every single woman's heart today. And that you would encourage us, Lord. I, I just come against panic. I come against fear and fright. I come against fear of the future and fear of the past. I come against fear of, of, the, of the present moment that people are, are terrified as to what is going to happen today or tomorrow. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that we will rise up to know that you're the God who loves us. You're the God who fills us with your love and with your purpose. And Lord, that we might rise up, that the church might rise up to go forward, Lord, and to, to shine for you, to be those who will shine and show the world a picture and something of your glory and how beautiful you are. Lord, thank you for this morning. We put everything that's been spoken now into your hands. And Holy Spirit, we trust you to use what has been said. And Lord, anything that was said that was not from you just may disappear. We just pray only your words may penetrate hearts today for your glory in Jesus' name. We're going to rise up and we're going to sing this song. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled. When striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ. I no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. The gates of hell will not prevail against what God is doing on this earth. And we are part of it. And we are encouraged today to rise up and to be the woman that God has called you to be. And you know what? If there's stuff going on that you need prayer for, then you need to get prayer for it. Because we're part of a body and we're meant to minister to each other. We're meant to encourage each other to, to keep going and to move into what God has called you to be and to do. And so this morning we just tell you in the name of Jesus to step forward. Don't be afraid. Step forward and let's encourage each other. Let's speak into each other's lives and let's see something happening even in our own area and across this planet because I believe the time has come for the, for the church to arise and to move forward. When we were in Caesarea Philippi last year, not last year, the year before, 2016, 2017, last year, uh, when we were there last year, at that very place of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, where we stood there, uh, Kingsley Armstrong was with us, and he spoke and he challenged us about advancing from that place. The church must advance. That means individuals advancing. It means moving forward, not going back and not even staying where we are, but going forward, taking the hand of God and stepping forward into all that he has promised for us to do. So may you be blessed today.